Thank you, praise team. Thank you for you guys for making us feel very welcome here at this uh, church. Last week, I had the opportunity to attend um, a memorial service for a, a dear friend. And in the bulletin that I saw, she had chosen this to be of a highlight of a quote. And I would like to share with you. It says, time is measured in minutes, and life is measured in moments. And I was thinking about this quote all throughout the week, and thinking about how much of an impact she had on me. And it's true that our lives consist of a series of moments. Often they may seem mundane to us, insignificant or forgettable, but when strung together, they tell great stories of triumph and failure, of laughter and tears, of blessing and loss. But then our lives are also punctuated by days, many of them we never even saw coming, days that shape us, days that define us, change us, transform us into who we are today. When we look through the pages of history, we see days that changed our experience, days that changed everything, like the day when Martin Luther mustered enough courage to nail his 95 Thesis to the church door in Württemberg, Germany, or the day when 56 men signed a Declaration of Independence at the birth of, the nation, of this nation, or the day when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on the bus. Or the day when many of us had to learn how to use this thing called computer and Zoom to continue on learning. Or how about the day when parents are forced to babysit their own children at home for 24-7, seven days a week due to a global pandemic. I got a few laughs on this one, sorry. First service was like, this, this, it's too painful to be funny. <laughs> These are the days that altered our history. And every now and then when we read scripture, we bump into a passage that begins with the phrase one day or one occasion, and remarkable stories begin. One day, Moses was watching a flock of sheep when God appeared to him in a burning bush. One day, Jesus fed a multitude with a kid's packed clench. One day Jesus walked on water and rescued his disciples from a raging storm. Now it might be a good day, in which case it marks a good decision or a good start of something new, like a new relationship or a new habit. But that one day could also be a mark of, of a bad day. Maybe it's a mistake we've made or a wound that's been inflicted upon us. But somehow God in his grace and mercy steps in and redeems it and works all things to his purposes and for our good. One day, one occasion, one idea, one moment, one conversation, one decision that changes and defines, that transforms our lives and sometimes even alters the trajectory of history. I know all of us can certainly point to these one days that were pivotal. Days that changed us and transformed us. 
for me, personally, there was the day when I started reading the Bible for myself and discovered God's love for me. Then there was the day when I decided to be baptized. There was the day when I lost my father to a helicopter crash. Then there was the day when I realized that God can bring beauty from something that painful. God can bring beauty out of the ashes. There was the day when I first met Linda, my wife. It was here, actually, in this sanctuary. Then there was the day when I asked her to marry me. These are days that shaped me and molded me. But there was a particular day that I want to highlight to you this afternoon. It was the day when I stopped asking God to follow me and to follow him instead. In my third year of undergrad, I had a financial situation, some of you may know this story, that prevented, from, uh, prevented me from going and continuing on my education. I had maxed out my scholarships. I worked as much as I could while in school. But the tuition bill was so high that I couldn't proceed with registering for my classes. So I prayed and prayed and prayed, and one day I was called into the financial office and was told to proceed with registering for my classes because someone had taken care of the bill. God answers prayers, amen? He answered my prayer, but the crazy thing is that it happened multiple times that God shows up and miraculously took care of my situation. Unbeknownst to me at the time, there were people who prayed, supported, and pulled their resources together to ensure that I get to finish my education. It was such a beautiful picture of church and a community. Not only was the Holy Spirit at work through these generous people, individuals, but with every interaction that I had, it was clear to me that God was indeed trying to get my attention. You see, God had planted the desire in my heart to go into ministry long before. I just didn't know how, when, and where. So I kind of just did what I thought maybe what we at times think is best, right? Pursue certain careers and do ministry kind of on the side. But now I know that was clearly not God's plan for me. So when these financial, financial excuse me, situations happened, I realized that God was still working in my heart to prepare me to go into ministry, but full time. So I continued to pray and wrestle about this until one day I remember two of my spiritual mentors sent me down over a meal and asked me to seriously consider pastoral ministry. I remember walking away from that restaurant, realizing, whoa, what, is, what just happened? Realizing that it was God all along who was trying to get my attention, who was trying to call me, and who was trying to gently lead me into ministry. So after taking some time to discern in prayer, I knew I had to make a decision. And so I stopped asking God to follow me and my plans and began following him instead. It's a memorable, memorable, excuse me, 
day for me because it's the same day when I changed my major without telling my family. My mom's here, so I have to watch out what I'm saying. <laughs> you know, church family, there will come a time when we'd have to stop over-guessing. There will come a time when we have to stop relying on our own insights and our own plans and just trust in him and in his timing and his provision for us. There will come a day when we'd have to decide whether or not we want to keep inviting Jesus to follow us or that we'd follow him instead. In the year of 2008, four students set out to revolutionize the eyewear industry. These students were neck deep in student loans. They, they had no background whatsoever in uh, glasses or in eyewear industry or e-commerce. Some of their friends obviously called them crazy with this idea, but they couldn't get over the fact or the, how much it cost to actually get glasses at the time. So their idea was pretty simple, to offer fashionable frames at a fraction rate of the price and to do it online. And before you know it, a decade later, Warby Parker is a billion-dollar business. And last year, as of August 2020, the company is valued at $3 billion. Adam Grant writes about Warby Parker in his book entitled Originals because one day, when Adam Grant was offered by the co-founders the opportunity to invest in the company, he unfortunately declined. Later on, when he reflected back to this opportunity, he mentioned in his book, and I quote, it was the worst financial decision I had ever made. The worst financial decision I had ever made. You see, in the world of economics, there are two kinds of cost, an actual cost, and an opportunity cost. Now, an actual cost is an expenditure. It shows up on our account, on our balance sheet, as a liability, and it's relatively easy to account for. An opportunity cost, on the other hand, it's a hidden cost, and so it's much more difficult to account for. It's a loss of a potential gain, often because of our indecision or inaction. And so Adam Grant wrote, Failing to invest in Warby Parker did not cost him a single penny in terms of actual cost. No harm was done, no foul, but it cost him millions and millions of dollars in terms of opportunity cost. Because nothing ventured and thus nothing gained. Here's the thing. We can do nothing wrong and still do nothing right. Goodness is, is not the absence of badness. That's a glass-half-empty version of the gospel. The righteousness of Christ is not just the absence of wrongness. It's him. It's his essence. And I think as Christians, we are pretty good at calculating, uh, uh, calculating actual cost, aren't we? But when it comes to calculating opportunity cost, not so much. Why? Because it takes much more courage, spiritually speaking. It takes more of a moral calculation that involves a measure of faith. And I suspect that many of us are far more concerned about actual cost than we are 
with the opportunity cost. The problem, though, if, if we stay in the boat the entire time, inevitably, we will never walk on water. And if we stay in the boat the entire time, we will miss out on the miracles that God wants to perform in our lives. We will miss out on what God is going to do in us and through us. And I truly believe that God is drawing all of us into a deeper love for him and a deeper experience with him. He's calling us to trust in him entirely and to walk with him daily. So this morning, this afternoon, I thought it would be good that we spend a little more time in a familiar story of a man by the name of Simon Peter. I invite you to turn with your Bibles to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 1. Peter is this ordinary guy with a normal job and with a normal family. He was a fisherman, right? And sure, he had a little bit of a temper, he had a little bit of an attitude, but otherwise just a normal guy. So we pick up Peter's one day in verse 1, where it reads, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And the first thing I notice here is that one days begin as normal days. I don't think anybody woke up that morning thinking that something miraculous was going to take place today. And then it says, he saw at the water, water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. And then he sat down and taught people from the boat. It's fascinating to me that Jesus just gets right into Peter's boat, <laughs> right? I mean, Jesus didn't just wait for him in the synagogue or wait for any of us in the synagogue and wait for people to come to him to hear him. He got right up into Peter's business, right up into his everyday walking around ordinary life and got into his boat. It's like Jesus is not just concerned about our religious life, that, that part that happens every weekend. No, no, no. He's concerned with everything about us. He's concerned with all aspects of our lives. He wants to get into our boats. He wants to get right into the very mess of our everyday, ordinary lives. So perhaps for some of us this weekend, it's just a matter of saying, hey, Jesus, I'm just going to let you come into come onto my boat so I can see what you have to say, so I can truly see who you are and what you are about. And we continue on reading in verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. This scene is kind of funny to me. I don't know about you. Because as far as the crowds are concerned, Jesus is a carpenter, right? He, he built houses for people. So it's kind of like someone, 
of an entirely different profession comes to you and starts telling you to do your job. Like for pastors, those Monday morning emails, you know? Well. But here Jesus is saying, okay, Peter, thanks for letting me use your boat. Thank you. Now you go out there and, and work. Go catch some fish right now in the middle of the day. Yes, it seems silly because Peter had just been out and they just cleaned up everything and now Jesus is saying, hey, take that um, a thousand pounds of fishing gear and go back out and catch some fish. I don't know if it's actually a thousand pounds. It's a figure. But not only that, the advice that Jesus gives is ridiculous if you notice. Because any fisherman worth their salt knew that to catch fish in the Sea of Galilee, you'd have to fish in the middle of the night in the shallow waters. And not in the middle of the day. Sometimes I wonder what the bigger miracle is in this story. What is about to happen, or the fact that Peter said, okay. <laughs> and I, I, I really don't know what caused Peter to say, guys, we worked hard all night, and we got everything washed up and cleaned up and put away for the day, but you know what? Jesus says to go, so we're, we're going to go. And one of the things I've noticed is that being a Christ follower, being a disciple, it is simultaneously the most logical thing in the world and the most illogical thing in the world. Here's what I mean by that. I mean, there are, there are things about following Jesus that makes so much sense. I can't, imagine, I can't imagine why people don't just do it. But then there are other moments when I think about following Jesus and I'm like, what? Do you, you want me to be a pastor? That's crazy. And oftentimes, it, it, yeah, it makes no sense, especially when he asks us to do crazy things like he asked Peter to do here. But friends, in order for us to move from an intellectual belief in something or someone to a practical faith in who Jesus is, sometimes we have to step out and just test his word for ourselves. And that's exactly what Peter does here. So Peter goes back out, casts his nets into the deep, and the scripture says, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they, when they came, they filled both boats so full that they, they were on the verge of sinking. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. They were all astonished at the catch of fish. They just caught. First of all, it seems to me that Jesus doesn't just meet Peter's expectations. He exceeds them abundantly and significantly. And second of all, I think it's interesting that they had to call another boat to help because the catch was so extreme and so large, right? Peter couldn't handle the blessing of Jesus that, that Jesus gives all for himself, so he had to call his partners over to help. I want to note here something quite important, that is that when Jesus really shows up in our lives, when we have a real encounter with Jesus, it's going to spill over 
from us into the lives of the people around us. Amen? A lot of times, you know, sometimes I hear this. A lot of times we say things like, I believe in, you know, having a relationship with Jesus. Yes, great, sure. But then we try to hide behind that reality sometimes so we don't have to bother anybody else. But Peter's one day tells me that our relationship with Jesus, yes, it's always personal, but it was never meant to be private. It's never meant to be private. If we have truly encountered the life-transforming power of Jesus, friends, it is going to spill over from us and onto the lives of the people around us. So then Peter fell on his knees. He recognized his own inadequacy. He comes to this place where he realizes that it doesn't matter how good we are, how much we've done, how much we know, or how much talent we have. When we see ourselves in light of who Jesus is, we realize it's all nothing without him. And then we keep reading. It says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will catch, you will fish for people. Excuse me. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. So Peter has, has, has had an encounter with Jesus, and he has a choice to make. And this is the part of the story that's amazing to me, and also the most mind-boggling to me. Because if I'm Peter, I'm, Jesus, I'm offering you a job, Jesus. You know, you, you can come onto my boat anytime. You tell us when to fish, where to fish. This is going to be a great partnership. Let's go. But he did not say that, nor did he do it like that. But instead, he fell on his knees and he confessed who Jesus is. And I love the way Jesus responds back when he says, don't be afraid. Don't, do, do not be afraid. It's the same phrase that I see again and again in the New Testament. Jesus saying, don't be afraid. And then he gives a very cryptic future for them. You're going to fish for people. I have no idea if they knew what that looks like, what that meant. But I want you to notice that Jesus didn't change Peter's identity. He takes his identity and he reframes it. Jesus just didn't just leave Simon where he is, or he was, but tells him who he is going to become. And that's what Jesus does and wants to do in our lives. And there, here comes the mind-boggling part. You ready? They left it all. They left it all. They just walked away from everything. They had just come into shore with the biggest catch of their entire lives, and they left it all to follow Jesus. It's crazy. Because if I'm thinking, if I, if I was Peter, I'm thinking like, you know, this is your moment to say, Jesus, keep doing, keep, keep being part of what I'm doing. Right, come join me here. But he didn't say that. They left it all, Scripture says, and it, they followed Jesus. Church family, there will come a moment when Jesus is going to ask us to be more than just fans of his, but to be his disciples. He's going to ask us to follow him deeper and further than we ever have gone before. There will come a moment 
in life when Jesus will ask us to follow him somewhere that won't feel good or safe. That time is going to ask us of us and require of us some kind of a sacrifice. There will come a moment when Jesus asks us to leave certain things behind, perhaps good things even. But perhaps they've been holding us back from completely following him. This was Peter's one day. It was a matter of, I, 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 just, I don't want to be fans of Jesus. I want to follow him. I don't want to just associate with Jesus anymore. I want to identify with him. And there's a clear world of difference between knowing about Jesus than knowing who he is. So I don't know about you this weekend, but I've certainly been blessed, richly blessed every week. We get to be part of this church community. And throughout our summer series, we have gone through this theme of being rooted. So I want to offer a few things as we keep that in mind as well, of that theme, being rooted. Perhaps for some of us, being rooted means that we allow Jesus to come onto, into our boats so that we can hear what he has to say, we can see what he's about, and we can see clearly more who he is. Perhaps being rooted for some of us means that we let go and we let God lead and call the shots. Perhaps for some of us, being rooted means that we trust him more than we trust ourselves. And yes, that, that, would, that trust um, would require us to completely give up self and would trust in his timing and his provision and instead of relying on our own insights and plans. And perhaps for some of us, being rooted means that we move from being fans of Jesus and becoming his disciples. And perhaps for some of us, being rooted means that we stop asking Jesus to follow us and to follow him instead. As today marks the official beginning of our relationship, Pastor Tara, thank you for changing the word from installing to launching. Now I feel much less like a fridge and more so like a rocket, <laughs> which is much cooler. The beginning of our journey here together at Azure Hills Church. But I want to let you know a few things that are important to us, my wife and I, as priorities. First is that our ministry here is never about me or my wife, but it has always been about God and what he is already doing in the lives of the people here in this community. We just feel very privileged for the opportunity to serve and to grow and to journey together through life. Secondly, we'd love to connect with you, especially if you're teenagers or tweens. Um, love to meet with you, you know, if you, for over a meal or drink or shoot some hoops or play badminton, whatever else you like to uh, enjoy doing. Uh, if, so if you see a text from me or a call from me, that's what that is, nothing else. Just want to connect with you. Parents, if you have those children in those age groups, I would appreciate your help in connecting me to your youth. And just in case you, you missed the first part of our service, you know, I like fruit. I love bobas, Thai food, and yogurt land. <laughs> we are just, my wife and I are just so grateful for 
the generosity and the warm welcome that you have expressed as we transition into this role. Our hope and prayer is that as we deeply root ourselves in God and in God's love for us, and what comes out of that, it may just be an overflowing of nothing else but love for God and for people. My hope and prayer is that all of us today, that we would join Peter in recognizing that being with Jesus is all that we need. My prayer is that we would have the courage to say that his presence is enough for me. That we would recognize that the opportunity of following Jesus far outweighs what it actually cost us and everything else in the world. My hope and prayer is that with Jesus, we would recognize that the best is yet to come. The question that I want to leave you with is that what decision that you have to make today, make today be that one decision.